0: Hello, hello, I am Karen Jean-Francois, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. While diversity has been a recurring conversation in the last few years, it tends to be focused on demographics. But what about diversity of thoughts and of background? Jackie Carter, professor in statistical literacy at the University of Manchester, joined me on the podcast to talk about how to make data analytics careers accessible to all. In this episode, you will hear about how opening the field to more diverse backgrounds will bring different perspectives and approaches to solving business problems with data. You will also hear about the need to address lack of diversity before it reaches the workplace, as well as the barriers to entry and how to solve them. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today.
1: Hi, Karen. I'm so excited to be here. It's untrue.
0: Yeah. So we've been
1: talking about having you on the podcast on and off,
0: and I finally managed to secure a slot with you. So super excited about that. And today we're going to talk about a super important topic, which is making data analytics accessible to all and looking into how students or people who aspire to become a data professional can find an internship and get into the field. But before we get into that, can I invite you to introduce yourself?
1: Of course. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be on this podcast episode today. So my name is Jackie Carter. I am a professor in statistical literacy at the University of Manchester, but I've had three careers, and this is my third career. I started life after I did my first degree, which was in mathematics. I started out as a school teacher in secondary school, teaching maths and PE to large groups of students up to the age of 18, And then I retrained in my 30s and I went into computer science. So I did a master's and a PhD in computer science. And I've always been really interested in the application of technology to solving big, complex problems. And then I worked in business engagement for 20 years. And then I won a big award, which I'm going to talk about as part of this podcast, to set up a data fellowship scheme. And I became an academic. So I'm a late bloomer, really. The career I've got now didn't start until my mid-50s. That that's who I am and what I do.
0: I wouldn't say late bloomer, Jackie, because <laughs> the host of the Squiggly Carrier podcast tend to say that nowadays we have five to six careers in our lifetime. So you're just halfway through your carriers. So I wouldn't say late bloomer.
1: Thank you. You've cheered me up no end. I have a birthday next week, so that's really cheered me up. Thank you, Karen. You're very welcome.
0: Did you say you were you started by teaching math and p e
1: yes, as in
0: physical education?
1: That's right, yes. that's such a weird mix. Yeah. I know when you used to teach in a secondary school in the UK, and I taught in a big secondary school in Cardiff in Wales, you had to have a second subject to teach. And because I hadn't done anything at university apart from mathematics with its applications, I had to choose a second subject and the subject I chose was PE. So I got to teach girls how to play hockey. So it was a very (laughs) character building point in my life. I think that says
0: a lot about me. (laughs) This is super interesting. I love it. So I want to talk about how we can make data analytics careers accessible to all. And from my experience in data analytics and speaking with different data professionals, obviously everybody I speak with who have been in data for a while now, I'm not talking about the ones who are joining at the moment, but the ones who've been around for 10 plus years, everybody tells me. I got into data by accident, but most of them have a numerical background or a computer science background. So being physics or chemistry or biology or mathematics, all these things, or computer science background. But recently there's been a a shift and we're seeing more and more people coming from different backgrounds wanting to get into the field. And I feel like the pandemic has accelerated that quite a lot. So I have in the podcast broad team, I have someone who transitioned in the career in data analytics coming from hospitality, so a completely different background. She was doing sales before in hospitality, and that's something very different. So with this growing, why would you say it's so important for us to bring more diversity to our data analytics professions?
1: I'm so happy you've asked me that question because <laughs> this is my mission, actually. I talked about being a late bloomer, but actually it's about finding my mission that I think I can give most back to the data profession in actual fact. And the reason I think it's so important to have a diversity of perspectives and a diverse talent pipeline into data professions is because we don't just need people who are numerically competent or quantitatively accomplished. We need people who can really think about human behaviour and the complexity of the social world. And so as part of my job being a professor in statistical literacy, I have the absolute pleasure of teaching young people who have come to university to study social science. So they're passionate criminology or sociology or politics or linguistics. They're here to understand about how the world works, different theories, but they're also really eager to see how they can put that knowledge into practice. So I'm coming at data um, skills building and data talent pipelines from a quite different perspective now to the one that I was trained in, to the one that I've worked in. But I can see the benefit of that is just enormous because these students are so, so good at critically analysing complex phenomena, okay? And then because they're motivated to do that, (laughs) so they might be really interested in why there's so much inequality in different parts of the world. But because that drives their motivation, they will go out and learn the skills to use the data to answer the research questions that they've got. So they're coming at it from a perspective of being interested in human behavior and society, not from the perspective of lots of volumes of data here. What can we do with it? And it creates a different type of data professional. And that, for me, is a really exciting bit.
0: Yeah. And that, from what you were saying, I'm hearing, you know, really understanding the why we're doing things and what we're trying to get to. And that's something that we've discussed at length (laughs) on this Mm -hmm. podcast and that everybody is advocating as well in the field. So really understanding why we're doing something and trying to dig into the data to find all these things as well, but having this different approach. So this is, I guess, what you've observed with your students and your students are also going through internships. Have you observed any barriers, or entry barriers to the field that your students have faced, or people you've you've spoken with outside of your university?
1: Yeah, of course, I've observed barriers. And I think my purpose is to help break down those barriers. So to start with a couple of statistics, because I've got to, have haven't I? <laughs> I've my job. So I've now placed 330 interns, but I call them data fellows now because I give them a title that actually puts a spotlight on the data. And the fellows give them a label, if you like, that makes it relevant to the work that they're doing. So they're not going into organizations and just being an intern they're going to organisations and they're doing data fellowships. They're doing data-driven research. Okay. In those organisations, and it has to really matter to the organisations. You know, it's not just a project they made up. It's something that they really need to get resource to do, and that's where the data fellows come in. So the barriers oh, – so the 330 students have gone through in seven years, um, some of them hybrid since the COVID pandemic. But of those 330 – Every year, we've had at least 70% female. Wow. And last year, it was 82%, okay? And we've also had 25% of the cohorts that have gone through being from underrepresented groups. So disadvantaged backgrounds or, you know, non-white. So people that, again, diversity is so important. You know, we create this diverse talent pipeline. This is what I'm now on a mission to do. And I'm writing about it and I'm presenting on it at international conferences. And it's so important that we get the message out that in order to get diverse teams in data industries and data professions, we have to create the diverse talent pipeline. So while the barriers are there, I try and eradicate them by giving the students confidence. I do lots of work with them to support them to apply. I make available, you know, 30 fellowships per year, some of which are funded by the university, but businesses also fund some of them. And it's just the most transformative opportunity that some of these students can have.
0: Yeah. And you are well ahead of the industry there with, you mentioned 82% in the last year being women. Yeah. So I guess, as you said, building the pipeline shows the importance really that before addressing the problem in organizations, we need to address it before and making sure that women and also non-white can access data professions from the start.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So among these barriers, do you have a couple of examples that you've
1: seen and how they can be addressed? Okay, oh, I could give you many, because really we're talking about intersectionality here. We're talking about, you know, the combination of a number of characteristics that students might have that prevent them from applying. So one is confidence, right? Students often feel that they come to university to study a social science degree, and because the industry is looking for more STEM, predominantly the industry is looking for STEM graduates. Okay, so they feel straight away that they don't have the skill set. So what we do is we give them training, you know, in the first and second mm. year of university, regardless of what course they're doing, we teach them how to do data analysis and how to do statistics. And it's all very applied. So we use real world data sets from the World Bank or from international surveys or from surveys that are collected, that was representative samples of surveys that are collected in the UK. And we get them working in the classroom, in the lab with those data and answering questions okay so we're giving them hands-on experience so by the time they come to apply for their internships they've already jumped through some of the hoops they've got some of the skills and then the barriers about how can they articulate those skills when they're interviewed if they're successfully interviewed so I do extra training sessions I've been doing them on zoom to help give them the confidence and to give them an idea of the types of questions they'll be answered, but also to give them the support. So in order to make them more confident, I give them the support. And that's a combination really, you know, we give them the teaching and the training in the classroom. And then we give them the opportunity to put that into practice in the workplace. And it's like a magic spell. The two things together um, creates this beautiful opportunity that they go off and grab with arms wide open. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So
0: I guess with the confidence, that the fact that the field is so STEM oriented, it does create some kind of imposter syndrome among yeah. students who would want to enter the field. Yeah. yeah, it does. So as data professionals and hiring managers and I guess organizations as well, how would you say we could make the field more accessible to non-STEM students, but also students coming from various backgrounds?
1: Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm laughing because I've been asked this question when I've been on panels before. I would say, first of all, there's a very, very simple thing that recruiters can do. And my call to recruiters, actually, and people in the data professions, is to not not exempt people outside of STEM degrees applying. So if you cast the net wider, you will find that people on social science degrees are increasingly doing degrees that include data analytic courses. So we have degrees at our university that uh, you can graduate in a sociology with data analytics degree or criminology with data analytics. And if um, recruiters are not recognizing that social science degrees can have a large component that is data analytics training, They're missing a tranche of people who could be going into the workplace and creating that more diverse workforce, bridging the gap between social sciences and humanities and data professions. One thing that comes out loud and clear when I talk to organisations is they love the curiosity that these students bring. You know, social science students are really curious, They're really curious about the world and they want to know what it's like, what the theories are that describe what it's like, but also how they can delve into the data to see what it's like in practice. So there's something about curiosity driving these students that makes them really good data analysts. So the first thing is to be more inclusive in recruitment processes and stop thinking that you can only get people from STEM. Or STEM allied disciplines. Think about the students who are acquiring those skills, but might be um, focusing on the humanities or social sciences. Another real practical thing to do is to give students opportunity. Talk to people like me. I have access to the students. You know, I only place 30 a year, but that's only because of the limited resources I've got. It's not because I could place twice that money easily. So if recruiters and organisations who want to be part of that talent, diverse talent pipeline development, talk to people like me, and I'm based at the University of Manchester, but my students go all over the UK, we can start to scale up what I've proved. You know, I've written a book on this. I've written academic papers. I've presented at international conferences. I'm working with colleagues in Colombia to help deliver the capacity to deliver the sustainable development goals. We've got this proven model that is creating this fantastic, diverse future talent pipeline, but we need to scale it up. So I think, you know, we need to connect. We need to build bridges across worlds. That's what we need to do.
0: Yeah. And so many universities are there looking to place their students in an internship as well. So I remember speaking at, I can't remember what university, that was way before lockdown. And all the students came after saying, oh, hey, are you offering internships? Thanks for sharing that. It's definitely one thing that especially, I guess, bigger organizations that already offer internships could look into. Do you have a story to share from one
1: of your students? Yeah, I do. Well, I have 330 stories to share, but I can't (laughs) share all of them because it's not time. And I wouldn't be able to share all of them the same depth as the one I'm about to share with you. But the reason I have those stories to share is because once I place a cohort, so each year we have a different cohort go through, and I connect with them, and I support them, they become my community of practice that I support over the summer. And then I keep in touch with them on LinkedIn. So I follow where they go. I'm interested in what they do next. And so the student I'm going to talk to you about today, I've actually written about in an academic paper, and it's open, an open access paper. You could maybe share the title of it. The title is called Developing a Future Pipeline of Applied Social Researchers Through Experiential Learning. And it talks about the program that I've told you about here, the Data Fellowship Program. But I have a student who I'm going to call Sam because I anonymized their name in the paper. And Sam was a sociology graduate who was really interested in doing a data fellowship, an internship. So Sam went off and did eight weeks in a company in London that was interested in analyzing data, both quantitative and qualitative, actually, in conflict-ridden countries. Okay, so she, that person, Sam, is a she, did their work placement. Then they came back to university and continued to work for that organization. Okay, And when they left university, because they had this experience that they could talk about in interviews, they quickly got into various companies doing data analytics, and they've worked at various different size companies doing various different roles. And I'm just going to, if it's all right with you, I'm just going to read out something that I've written about this person in their own words. Okay. And says, whilst a lot of businesses do data analytics with a transactional or financial focus... Uh, just looking at the raw numbers, there's not so much of a focus on how customers behave or feel. And that's something that the social science side really helped me with because we're trained in social research methods. Like what are are people's attitudes and how do you measure people's behaviour? How do we look at the big picture, the context in which the data is collected? No one was really thinking through that relationship at the place where uh, they were working at the time so i brought that strength and from statistics i brought knowledge of things like regression analysis and dimensional reduction so you know how how do we find the underlying factors in people's behavior things like that and the technical things i'd learned on placement so in my current job i'm now back to applying sampling theory so sort of back to my roots so and <laughs> that sums up that if we get students like sam who have been trained in social research methods, including statistical techniques, they've had that hands-on opportunity to analyze data, but they're really interested in human behavior. They can bring so much to a team, so much in the way of diverse thinking. I agree. And while
0: you were reading this, I guess, testimony, I was thinking, oh, that sounds a bit like behavioral science. (laughs) Jackie, let's imagine there is a student who, or someone who wants to transition into a career in data, who's looking for work experience. <laughs> Obviously, we've all been there with the, oh, you don't have enough experience, even for entry level roles sometimes. What would you recommend that they do, or how would you advise them to approach their looking for an
1: internship or looking for work experience? <laughs> so now I get to plug my book. <laughs> Well, I have to. So I've written a book and it's called Work Placements, Internships and Applied Social Research. And it's a book for people who don't have me in their life. (laughs) So because I've got all of this experience with students, I decided to write a book about it. It's published by Sage, a big academic publisher. And it goes through chapter by chapter. What is a work experience? How to find one? how to apply for one, how to prepare for the interview, how to get through the interview, how to get through your first day, how to reflect on what you're learning. So it has a really well-informed framework for how you can reflect on your analytical skills, on your research skills, and on what I call your professional skills. Some people call them soft skills. So it's very much designed for people who want to acquire that experience but don't know how to go about doing it. So if you're interested It's online, too, in all good bookstores and online. Yeah, so that would be my first suggestion, to look through this. And it's all case study-based. So it's written from the perspective of the students who have been there and done it already. So lots and lots of tips, top tips, further reading. It's very practical-based, and it's got frameworks reflecting. And then I would say find someone, find your network, find people. Put the feelers out for what you want to do. Get onto LinkedIn and connect with people and ask. Don't ex- Nobody's ever going to knock at your door and say, here's an internship in the data professions that you would really like to do. You've got to go out and find it. You have to develop. And you can develop a network around you to support you. You are not on your own. Women in data, right? I mean, yeah. women <laughs> in data, we're all about supporting more women getting into data careers. So connect with us and just do it. The first quote in my book is, a year from now, you may wish you had started today. Yeah. And, face.
0: and I couldn't agree more with the part on networking. It's such a powerful tool that we tend to underestimate either by fear and then or by sometimes not knowing where to start. I guess some people might think that is not as important as it is, but that's such a. A massive,
1: important part of finding a job. I agree. I agree, and it can be super scary. But you know, lots of things are super scary. So sometimes you just have to go out there and do it and do it with support. You know.
0: Yeah i I will never forget the first time I went networking. That was a scary experience. Being an introvert, it was terrifying, but I did
1: it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you learn. You learn from putting yourself in those scenarios, don't you? It might always feel uncomfortable. But it's sort of part and parcel of putting yourself out there and making things happen. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jackie.
0: And I will definitely link in the show notes the, the, the paper you mentioned, but also your book. So for everyone who wants to have a look, they can find the links in the show notes and just click and find all that. To close the episode, I wanted to ask you what you're learning at the moment or are interested in learning about.
1: and I said to you I was really looking forward to this question I am learning Spanish on Duolingo oh my god okay Okay. and I am not a linguist I have dabbled with languages in the past I used to live in Wales so I tried to learn Welsh and you know at school I did French and yeah but I'm learning Spanish because I've got this connection with Colombia I'm doing some work with them I want to be able to go over to Colombia they're going to invite me over to speak there and I want to be able to converse in Spanish And so I recently did a conference presentation on the south coast of Spain, a town called Gandia, close to Valencia, and it gave me such a boost. I have invisible disabilities, so traveling is really hard, but to be there and to be able to speak just conversational Spanish gave me such a boost. And it helped me realize that learning a new language, and it could be computing, right? It's It's really hard, but the payback is just massive. So to put the effort in and to use an app like Duolingo, in my case, or to get online and do some training in a new software language, it's just, it's worth it, okay? I could be spending my time playing games on my phone, but I decided, no, I wasn't going to do that. So I've been learning it for a year, and it's just been incredibly rewarding and very interesting to see my development at this stage in life of learning the language.
0: I love this so you got to conversational Spanish using yeah. Duolingo for a year yeah oh my god I feel like high-fiving you right now yeah. I find <laughs> I find Duolingo so frustrating so I have this thing where I haven't been on it for a while now but you know when you have the bubbles that become golden because you've learned one of yeah. these keys or crowns and, and yeah. then it goes away and then I keep being like, no, keep my God." <laughs> so <laughs> that was my frustration with your lingo. I was just like, stop doing this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Well, actually, there, therein lies another talk because I was doing the free version and because I'm making lots of mistakes. So I ended up actually paying for the year-long subscription and it's sped up. I do so much more now and learn so much more quickly. Okay. So that investment has been a good one. Okay, maybe that's where I failed. So
0: <laughs> this episode is going to come out way after I come back from Peru, but I am going to Peru in a couple of weeks, and. I don't know how I'm going to communicate with people. That's going to be interesting. I'm hoping I can speak with them in Italian, and they're going to understand. And if they reply in Spanish, I, I can understand Spanish. I cannot speak Spanish, so that's, okay.
1: going, <laughs> that's
0: going to be an interesting.
1: Oh, but I would say keep learning. Keep, you know, I mean, gosh, like I say, you know, I'm in my sixties now, and I still keep learning things. I love learning. I just think it's such an important way to keep us uh, alive and aware and i'm just so in awe of people who are more than one language so this is my tiny attempt
0: definitely and even more important in the field we are in that keeps moving and changing thank you so much jackie for joining me on the podcast today it was a pleasure having you
1: oh it's been such fun thank you so much karen i love what you do it's a brilliant brilliant platform thank you thank you for listening
0: to the women in data podcast we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest until then if you have two minutes it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible but also to enhance the content if you don't want to miss the next episode follow us on apple podcast or spotify we are also on linkedin and if you wish to you can even register to the community for free All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.